morning. How you doing? Weak. Said, how you doing this morning? Yeah. I'd like for my wife, Vicki, to stand as she would so that you know who she is. And uh, it is our privilege to serve in leadership of this district. This chair is not because I'm going to get tired. I just thought I would let you know in case you're wondering that I was going to preach for two and a half hours and I was going to get tired and have to sit down. You guys are a rough crowd. I'm just telling you now. I jokingly tell people, you know, they say, what in the world is a district superintendent? And I tell them the wonderful thing about the title district superintendent is that title and $1.89 will get you a Frosty at Wendy's every day. And I jokingly say that because the fact the lowest level of leadership you'll ever experience in your life is positional leadership. A position does not make you a leader. It only gives you an opportunity to lead. Our responsibility is the oversight ultimately the oversight of all the Assemblies of God churches south of the Missouri River in southern Missouri. About 358 churches, a little over 1,500 ministers. And in a sense, we kind of serve as cheerleaders. We get to come in and be in a different church every week. We get to meet with the pastor, get to know them better, and the pastor's wife, and we get to meet with the congregation. We like to get here a little bit early, as we did today, and get to shake a few hands, meet a few people, just kind of get to know you a little bit better before we start into the service, because we believe in you. We have some amazing, awesome vision for what we believe God wants to do in southern Missouri to reach people for Christ. We'll talk a little bit more about that a little bit later on, but we realize it's going to happen in places just like Bloomfield. It doesn't happen there in Springfield on 528 West Battlefield. All that we are is the supply line. We are there to add resource relationship and renewal to the local churches and pastors to help them to reach their community for Christ. And I mean, this is an awesome place. My wife and I have been looking forward with anticipation getting to be here at Bloomfield at the assembly. Years ago, there was a gentleman that said he, that was the only windmill that he knew that ran on water. So let's see if this works. Really, I mean, this is amazing. I've, I've been hearing about what was happening at Bloomfield, and I've been just looking forward to the opportunity to get to be here, and I am not disappointed. We are not disappointed. God is doing some awesome things here. But he's not done yet. Anytime that a church's memories are bigger than its dreams, it's in trouble. And I believe that God wants to build upon the foundation of all what has already happened at the assembly to do even greater exploits in His name. Here's what happens with a church like this. We're going to get to the message here in a minute, but this just kind of dovetails in. What happens with the church is there's so many churches that really can't do outreach. They really can't do too much to reach their community because of the fact that they are so crippled financially and they're so crippled and weak in numbers that they're spending all their time just trying to maintain and to keep everything going. And what God wants is some churches like Bloomfield, the assembly, where you have, you have moved forward, where God is blessing you, and it's not like, okay, we've arrived now. We can sit down. Anytime you do that, you're going to slip down, okay? 
But what it is, is this is the time to say, all right, the foundation is laid. We have some resources. God is going to pour in more resources. Because you see, if your only vision for next year for this church is to remodel the bathrooms, then God will send you a plumber and a painter. But if you want to do some great and mighty exploits in the name of the Lord, God is going to continue to send in resources, and he's going to continue to send in reinforcements to just pump you up to radically affect Bloomfield, southern Missouri, and the world for Christ. How many want to be a part of that? I love what I see, but God's not done yet. And today I want to challenge you, and I want the challenge to lead to change. Because you see, if, if I challenge you and there's not real change, then I have truly failed. Challenge should always move us to change. And I'm going to be sharing several scriptures today, but I want to start with a very unique scripture. It's when David was becoming king of Jerusalem or of Israel. Saul had just died. The nation was in a horrendous place. Their king had just been killed in battle. But in the midst of this, God already had a plan. How many know that very little things, very few things catch God off guard? Hello? God doesn't go, wow, I never expected that. What am I going to do now? He already had David that he was raising up to power. And so it is when Saul is killed that the armies, representations of the armies of the tribes of Israel come to Hebron to raise David up to place of power and authority and leadership. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, it talks about these armies coming to meet with David. And I just want to read just a little bit of it today because of the fact that it catches the impact of what we need to see today. These are the numbers of the men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him as the Lord had said. It's important. Begins to go through the tribes, and then it comes to this tribe. From Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. These were the most important men to David. Now, he had his mighty men. He had the 30, and he had the, what it was, the 100. And I mean, these guys were amazing warriors, but nobody was more important than these guys right here, those who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. If there was ever a time in our nation's history that we need sons of Issachar in leadership, it is today. We need God to raise up men and women of God in our nation who understand the times and know what our nation should do. On Wednesday, we're going to celebrate our independence, and I thank God that though we are in a mess, I believe it's still the best nation to live in on the face of the earth. But I don't know if you noticed or not, but there was something that happened a few years ago. It was a, it was a tipping point. It was, you know, you, you've got scales and they're sitting here like this. And, and then there's, there reaches a point when the weight on this side overweighs and, and just one more thing, one more stone, one more weight. And there's this tipping that occurs. And we hit that tipping point a few years ago. 
We could talk a lot about what caused it. We could go into a lot of details. We could hit a lot of different areas today. But that's really not our, our, our apex. That's not our focus today. Because it could get us very easily side railed. But let's just say this. That before we hit that tipping point, it was kind of respectable to be a Christian. Matter of fact, you know, Christianity was at least tolerated. And, and, and the ministers were somewhat looked up to. But when we hit that tipping point, there was this flip that occurred. And suddenly... Suddenly, to be called a Christian was suddenly to be biased, to be bigoted, bigoted to, be, to be racist, to be called a Christian suddenly became something very adverse. Are you with me? I'm not getting political here today. I'm talking about a very spiritual occurrence because though I believe that there was political, political involved, I believe that it was a spiritual occurrence and I believe I know partly what brought it about. Matter of fact, Paul talked about it years ago in the book of Romans. This is what he said. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21, he said, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. In other words, Paul is saying there would come a generation that would make these radical turns that would be so just totally against reason and it would be because of the fact that they refused to retain the knowledge of God. Are you following me this morning? They refused to retain the knowledge of God although they knew God. They did not acknowledge Him. They did not praise Him. And I believe that's what happened to our nation, that we hit that tipping point. Now, unless you think, well, wow, I'm really glad you came to encourage us today. Wow. Let's all go home and pray now. No, this is not, this is not a downer message. Why? Because light always shines the brightest in the middle of darkness. Always. Matter of fact, I think it is, I am sick and tired of churches getting this defeated, victim-like attitude. If this is your favorite song, please forgive me. But one of my least favorite songs in the old hymnals were, was Hold the Fort. Because it had this, how many of you have never even heard the song, Hold the Fort? Let me see your hands. Okay, thank you very much. It was this song like, hold the fort, you know, Jesus is calling to us. You know, we'll wave the answer back to glory, and we'd get white hankies out. Years ago, they used to get white hankies out, and I couldn't tell if they were waving to Jesus or surrendering. I really couldn't. And it gave this picture that the church, hold the fort, the church was, you know, hiding down behind, just hoping Jesus would hurry up and come. That is not the picture of the church in the New Testament that we see. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Notice the wording. He did not say hell, hell will not prevail against the doors of the church. He said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It is the church pushing hell back. It is time for us to quit being defeated. It is time for us to quit getting down and being in the mulligubs and realize that we are a victorious army of Jesus Christ and we win. 
There's a gentleman by the name of Andy Stanley, and he was sharing an illustration about how he had the privilege of going to Rome and going to the Colosseum. For those of you who might not understand or remember, the Colosseum was this huge arena that back in the very beginning, in the, in the first century, and, and, you know, about 30 to 50 A.D., around in that time, they would bring individuals in, and, and they would, if their people would, would not refute or they would not recant their belief in Jesus Christ, they were killing Christians. If they would not recant their belief in Jesus, they would take them into the Colosseum and kill them in horrendous ways. They say that the, the unemployment rate was very high, at that point, there was a lot of people with nothing to do in Rome, and so they would literally fill the Colosseum to come and see Christians killed. And, and Andy Stanley was going to tour the Colosseum, and, and he said, as he walked in through the emperor's entrance, there was a cross there. And he stopped, and he began to be overwhelmed, and the tour guides, what's wrong with you, man? I'm yeah, you know, Pope so-and-so dedicated the Colosseum to those who had given their lives and yada, yada, yada. He said, no, 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 no. You don't get it. There is a cross in the emperor's entrance. There is a cross in the entrance that the emperor would come in to come set in his high seat to watch Christians being killed. There is a cross in the emperor's entrance. He said, who would, how would those of the first century have ever imagined that there would come a day that there would be crosses throughout the city of Rome and literally throughout the world and they would not be representing those who had died for the faith. They would be representing the one man who died for all of men mankind. He said, how in the world could the first century Christians, and you would look like the church was being wiped out. He said, how could it be that they could have ever imagined that 2,000 years later there would be a church, there would be a, a, a country on the other side of the globe where they would name their children Mary and Joseph, and John, and Peter, and they would name their dogs Nero and Caesar. We win. But we've got work to do. And it is a little bit more of an uphill battle with the tipping point that we've experienced, but it is not impossible. And even if it was impossible, man, God majors in impossible. You say, why, why does this wind you up? It winds me up because there are so many, many people that need to be impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We could talk about the world and all of that, but let's just talk about down home. What do you say? Bloomfield, Missouri, about 1,900 people in the county of Stoddard, which is about 29,000 people. And if I figure right, I did a little bit of math and I did a little bit of coagulations, calculations. And I figured that somebody could be to this church in about 20 to 25 minutes from just about anywhere in this county. Hold on, 29,000 people. Did you realize that in the last census in Stoddard County, when they asked those people in the county, those 29,000 people, they said, what is your religious affiliation? You want to guess what 67% said? None. 
over 20,000 people in this county. I'm not talking about in Africa. I'm talking about in Stoddard County. Over 20,000 people, when they were asked what their religious affiliation was, said none. Now, some of us just may not want it to say. But I guarantee you there are so many people. This is what I was talking about a while ago. It's not like we have now arrived. This is so good. You got work to do. There's a gentleman by the name of Tommy Barnett. This is a story from years ago. He was pastoring in Phoenix at Phoenix First Assembly of God, Phoenix, Arizona. They were running about 10 to 12,000 people right around there. And a lady walked up to him one Sunday and said, Pastor Barnett, I just want you to know that I think the church is big enough. Oh, okay. She said, you know, we've grown, and this is so good. And she said, I just want you to know I think the church is big enough. And he just, he just let it go. There wasn't any sense of saying anything. He said that same lady came back about four or five months later, and she was crying, and she said, Brother Barnett, I want you to pray with me, please. She said, my son's getting ready to move here to Phoenix. And <coughs> He needs Jesus so bad. Would you please pray that he'll come to church with me here and get saved? And Brother Barnett said, the church is big enough. This church, as well as it's doing, and I commend you, it's not big enough. It's not big enough till everyone within 20 minutes driving distance of this church have received a gospel witness, have accepted the Lord as their Lord and Savior, and they're attending a Bible-believing church. Thank God for the fact that you can get about 400 in this sanctuary. I look forward to getting the call from Dwight to say, hey, listen, Pastor, next Sunday we got to go to two services because we can't get everybody in. And it's not just about the numbers. It's about people. Here's what you got to understand. If somebody dies in the middle of Bloomfield and they don't know Jesus, they go to the same hell that if somebody's living in inner city St. Louis and dies. And maybe these in Bloomfield might be a little bit harder to reach because they're good old boys that think they're okay. And they need a desperate impact of the Holy Spirit that helps them to realize, no, it's not okay. Being okay is not okay. You have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's get into the meat of where I'm going today because what I want to do is I want to talk to you about how you can impact your community for Christ. How many want to know that? I'm not telling you this is new and fresh and oh my lands. We've never heard those things before. I know some of it's just basic, but I hope that it has a new impact on you today. Number one, if you are going to impact the people of this community and in your world for Christ, I keep saying and your world because God wants you to do more than just impact your community. I'll never forget when I was pastoring at Ashgrove Assembly of God. It was a town of about 12 or 1,400. At the time, we were probably only running about 60 or 70 people. When we left, when we came into the superintendent's position from that position, we were running about 180 to 200 on Sunday mornings. 
many times more than that on Wednesday nights as we were impacting youth and children. But I remember when we were a smaller church and it was early in our ministry there. We were there for 25 years. And I got up on a Sunday night and it just seemed so stupid. It was like, Miller, what are you saying? And I looked at that congregation and I said, I believe that God wants to impact the world through Ashgrove Assembly of God. Come on, you goofball. You're out 20 minutes northwest of Springfield. You're in the country. What are you talking about? In the next eight or nine years, we had short-term and long-term missionaries that that went into 19 countries of the world. We sent forth military chaplains, youth pastors, children's pastors, lead pastors, You see, God wants to do great things here, but then he wants to raise up an army that is going to affect the world through this place. He wants this to be a sending church. Are you still with me? All right. I got to move because the seat can only, the mind can only absorb what the seat can endure. I understand. We're going to get there. Number one, if you want to impact this community for Christ, and your world. You must be people of the Spirit and people of the Word. People of the Spirit and people of the Word. Listen to me. I know this is a duh. There's churches that are getting away from the Word. I'm going to tell you what. I love a good feel-good message, but I'm going to tell you now that there's nothing that will impact the hearts of men more than the Word of God being proclaimed courageously. In the Old Testament, there were times that people, they, they simply, they would get up and read the Word and people would come to repentance because there is power in the Word of God. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. We cannot get away from the importance of the Word of God. We must be people of the Word, but we must also be people of the Spirit. Okay, exactly what do you mean by that? You are part of a Pentecostal church. What in the world does that mean? Here's what it means. It means that we refer, when we say Pentecostal, we're referring back to the day of Pentecost, which is recorded in Acts 2-4, when Jesus said, I'm going to send you out as witnesses to the whole world, but before you do, you need to go wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. And they gathered in an upper room. There was an impact of the Spirit of God upon them. The Spirit of God swept down into that room. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in a language that they did not understand, and they began to proclaim the Word of God. Some people think, well, that's pretty weird. I don't know if I want that kind of weird stuff around me or not. Can I tell you something? Please, I'm going to tell you anyway, so just as well. We kind of got away from Pentecostal for a while in the assemblies. Some of the churches began to pull back from it, and I know why. Because you see, sometimes we prided ourselves so much in the Spirit of God that we forgot about order. And sometimes there were people that did a whole bunch of things that they blamed on the Holy Spirit that he had nothing to do with. And in the area of spontaneity, they went from spontaneous to chaos. 
and there was just a lot of weird stuff, and another generation came up and said, we don't want that weird stuff. But they began to push away from the reality and the real as they were trying to get away from the weird. I want you to know that God is still baptizing people in the Holy Spirit, even as he did on the day of Pentecost. Now, I'll just get this just for a second. Just hang on here with me. And the good thing is, Pastor can straighten this all up next Sunday, all right? But I've also seen people that got all mixed up about what the Spirit was about and what the baptism of the Holy Spirit was about. And one of these days, I'm probably going to get decked for saying this. But I'm going to tell you now, if the only reason you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit is so that you can speak in a language that you do not know, then please buy Rosetta Stone. Take a language course. Because that's not what it is for. It is the outward evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus said, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. Now, if you think that statement's going to get me in trouble, wait till you hear the next one. If you tell me that you are a Pentecostal church and you haven't seen anybody saved in the last year and a half, I'm going to begin to doubt your Pentecostalism because it is to give us power to witness. But I know that I can say that in a safe place because while I was tooling down 60 Highway yesterday to get the Poplar Bluff, my wife was watching a video of the baptisms of new believers. We're about ready to have revival right there in the car, just watching it happen. Are you still with me? We must be people of the Spirit. We must be people of the Word. Number two, we must be people who are willing to change. Oops. I just keep getting deeper, don't I? You will not change until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of changing. And what gets churches in trouble is when they are not willing to change. The sons of Issachar understood what Israel should do. They understood the times and knew what Israel should do. And in doing, it's going to bring about change. Paul said to the Jews, I became like a Jew. To the Gentiles, I became like the Gentiles. To those who were weak, I became like one who was weak. To those who were bound, I became like one who was bound. Was he a chameleon? No. What was he saying? He said, I adapted my message to reach my audience. If we are not careful, we will be saying a lot of good things, but we will be saying them in a way that the people around us will not understand and will not be ready to receive what we are speaking. See, here's a difficulty that we face, and it's one of the difficulties we face in the United States, and that is that culture changes about every two to three years. I'm talking radical shift. In culture. How many would agree with that? The difficulty with that is that most churches, not most, but many churches, change every 30 to 40 years. Do you see the problem? What happens is it's not that the message is wrong, it's that the method to deliver the message is wrong, and so they don't even get it. The people around them view them as irrelevant, and they don't even receive the message anymore. You have to be willing to change the method 
to reach the community that you're ministering to without changing the message. You say, now bless God. Mr. Miller, I know you're coming from up there in Springfield. You just may not get Bloomfield. I'm going to tell you now, you can't change the method without changing the message. And my answer to that is, really? Let's just let's, let's go back a few years. How about, how about 2000? That'd be okay. Let's look at one of the greatest, the greatest evangelists that ever lived. His name was Jesus. John chapter 3, Jesus encounters Nicodemus. What are the first words out of Jesus' mouth? He looks at Nicodemus, boom, in your face. Nicodemus, you must be born again. Unfortunately, some people stop reading at John chapter 3. And they don't go to John chapter 4. Because here's Jesus, John chapter 4, sitting on the edge of the well at Samaria. And a woman walks up, a very ungodly woman. Jesus did not fly off of that well and say, you must be born again. What did he say? Hey, lady, would you give me a drink of water? And she said, why are you a Jewish man asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink of water? And Jesus says, oh, if you only knew who it was who was asking you for a drink of water, you would ask him for a drink of water, and he would give you water to drink of that you never would thirst again. And what happened? After an encounter and after a conversation, she goes running back to her village and says, come see a man who has told me all about my life. Could this be the Messiah? And she accepts Jesus as the Lord and Savior. Same message. Different method. God, help us to be able to change the method so that our communities can be reached. I love doing this. It's just a little bit of fun. I probably get way too much fun out of it. But you see, I'm in a church like this, and you're going, you don't know us very well. We don't have any problems with change at all. To which I would reply, I want you to look at where you're sitting right now. And want to ask you where you sit last Sunday. Where did you park on the parking lot? And where did you park last Sunday? Change isn't fun. But I'm going to say it again. We don't change until the pain of staying the same is, still, is greater than the pain of changing. You have accomplished great things. But God wants to open your eyes to the fact that there is this huge, huge group of people that still desperately need Jesus in this community. Final point, illustration, we're done. We must be people who are willing to go outside of the four walls of the church. In the Old Testament, the verb was come. Come to the temple. Come to Jerusalem. Come to Israel, and we will teach you about God. When we get to the New Testament, the verb changes. It changes from come to go. 
go you into all the world. And some churches haven't made that change yet. I'm not trying to slam them. I'm just saying there are people outside their four walls that need Jesus. And if you just think because you build it, they will come, that's not going to get the job done. They're going to come because you witness to them out there. The greatest ministry of this church will not occur on Sunday morning. It will occur on Monday through Saturday when you are showing them Jesus through your life. When you show them and they see there's something different in your life and the way that you approach life and your, and your witness is so strong, they say, I don't know what you've got, but I want some of that. And then you can have them to come with you to church. Organized outreaches as a church, then individuals' outreaches. You need to have your own private outreach every week. Whether it's the person in the convenience store, or the person at school, or the person where you work with, where you work, showing them the light of Jesus. We're going to wrap up with this, and it really ties in well with Independence Day. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was getting ready to walk into the synagogue. Now, you have to understand the synagogue was a place of teaching. The temple, they went every five years or so. But the synagogue, they came weekly to hear the reading of the Scripture. And there was a seat sitting in the synagogue. You will not find it described or mentioned in the Word of God, but you will find it alluded to in the Word of God. But in tradition, it tells us that in the synagogue, in every synagogue throughout Israel, there was a seat that sat there that was known as the Messianic chair. And it was, a, it was a symbol and a reminder to them that one day there will come one who will be our deliverer. The Messiah, the Christ will come. And when he comes, he will sit in that chair. And every week that they came, they would think, oh God, send us the Messiah. Lord, send us the Messiah. Oh God, deliver us from Rome. Deliver us from all of those things who, that try to bind us. Enter Jesus. Jesus is 30 years old. The best I can figure, he's probably walked into the synagogue 1,500 times. This day is different. This day he walks in, and as was usual, the ruler of the synagogue says, he read from the Scripture, and he says, is there a rabbi that would like to read today? And Jesus stood up and said, I'll read today. And the ruler of the synagogue hands him the book of Isaiah and Jesus opens up the scroll and this is what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he sat down. And it says that all eyes were fastened on him. I guarantee you all eyes were fastened on him. They're saying, who in the world do you think you are sitting in that chair? And he's saying, it is not about who I think I am. It's who I know I am. Thank you for saving my chair for me. What did he truly say audibly? He said this, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your hearing. I'm here. But if you'll give me just a couple more minutes i got to bring this to a close, but you got to see this. 
Because you see, Jesus didn't even finish the sentence that he was reading from in Isaiah 61. Because King James proclaimed the acceptable year of the Lord. But Isaiah goes on to say, and day of vengeance of our God. But all that Jesus said was to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The year of the Lord's favor. And he closed the book. And he sat down. Why did he not finish the sentence? Fast forward with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 5. We are all in the throne room. All believers are there. This is going to be the grand entrance of Jesus in the throne room. And everybody's worshiping. John is telling us about it. And he said an angel approaches him and says, John, John, we've got a problem. There's no one worthy to open the book. And John says, I began to weep. But then the angel says, John, it's okay. There is one that's worthy to open the book, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he points, I believe, and Jesus walks into the room. And if you think that they celebrate when the Super Bowl happens, you ought to see what it's going to be like that day when Jesus walks into the room. And Jesus comes and he takes the scroll from the angel. And he pops the seal. You can find it in Revelation chapter 6. And though you do not find these words, here's what I believe that Jesus does. I believe he pops the seal and he says, and day of vengeance of our God. And he finishes the sentence that he started 2,000 years ago. Why did he close the book? He closed the book to say, this is all that I'm coming to fulfill right now. The acceptable year of the Lord. The year of the Lord's favor. Yes, I believe in preaching hell, but I'm going to tell you our greatest message to the world around us is not hell. Our greatest message to the world around us is this, that this is the acceptable year of the Lord. This is the year of the Lord's favor. You do not have a God that is looking for a chance to set you up and take you down. You have a God that wants to set you free. You talk about freedom. We're celebrating freedom for our nation, but we ought to celebrate the freedom of the cross right along with it, that Jesus has set us free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Now he is speaking as if through us. Second Chronicles, second, excuse me, Corinthians five says that we are now his ambassadors, and we're going to the world as if he were speaking to uh, through us and saying to the world, "Be reconciled to God." This is the year of the Lord's favor. Bow your heads for just a moment. You may be in this room, and you're not in right relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you what Jesus is here. Yeah, I, I love celebrating Fourth of July. But you could have your own Independence Day right here. Independence from the sin that is trying to destroy you. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus has come that you might have life. If there's one here today, and I will not embarrass you, but I'll give you opportunity to respond, that would say, I am not right with Jesus. There are things in my life that should not be there. If he came right now, I would fear that I would not go with him, but I really want to get right with God today. If that's you, would you slip your hand up anywhere across this building right now? Thank you for that hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? I need to get things right with God today. 
If there's anybody here, I know there's at least one that raised their hand. This is real quick. We're going to go to a prayer, and I'm going to turn it to the pastor. But if you're here today and you say, I need to get things right with God, this place here, I can already tell, has been set aside as an altar unto the Lord. If you're ready to get free of the things that bind you and to walk in freedom in Christ, I urge you to stand wherever you are and come to find a place to kneel right here, and you will hardly get here before there will already be a believer beside you praying with you. If you're here today and you say, I need forgiveness, I need freedom, will you stand wherever you are and come and kneel right here at this altar? I'm going to be somebody to come pray with you. I'm going to give you just a second. Give you just a second. Anyone, anywhere? Give you Jesus. Just hold for a second. Just hold for a second. God's dealing with some hearts. Just find a place to kneel. That's it. Just find a place to kneel. Prayer warriors, I need you. I need you open and available here. If you see somebody coming, just I need somebody with them right away. I need somebody with them right away. Thank you, Jesus. 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 I need one more gentleman right here, would you please? I need a good prayer warrior man right here to come pray with this gentleman here. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Now, I'm going to hold just a second. There's somebody in this place. There's somebody in this place, and you have sat under the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God before, and you've pushed back and you've resisted, and you thought another day, another day, another day, I'm not going to make any threats, I'm not going to, I'm just going to tell you that Jesus is dealing with you today, and He wants to set you free. There's at least one more person in the seats that needs to be at the altar. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond because I don't want you walking in bondage anymore. I want you walking in freedom. I'm going to give you just a second to respond and we're going to move on. But you're here today and you are ready to be, you are sick and tired of being sick and tired of living in the things that are trying to destroy you. And you don't know if it's going to work for you. You don't know that you even deserve it. Well, let me give you a hint. You don't deserve it. None of us do. But Jesus died so that you could be free. I'm I'm not going to apologize. I've just got to take this second. I just, my brakes just went on because there's one other person that should be up here giving your life to Christ. Don't think, well, I don't know how I can live it. You don't know, you don't have to figure it out. All you have to do is depend upon him and he is going to set you free. He is going to set you free. Anybody else? I need one, another lady right up here right now to pray this with this one that's come. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, blessed God. I need a gentleman right up here to join this gentleman here that's come right now. Help me out. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Now, we're going to do two things. First of all, when I say now, I want you to jump to your feet. I want you to celebrate the freedom that Jesus is giving these individuals right now. All right? And then we're going to have another prayer, and I'm done. When I say now, I want you to jump to your feet and celebrate. The angels in heaven are celebrating now. Let's celebrate with them right now. Right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
Now these people are being ministered to. I'm turning my focus from here out to here. I'm not going to call you forward, but I want God to put such a challenge in your heart today. I want him to put a fire inside of you. I want it to be that when you walk down the street or you drive down the road, that God begins to show you people that you encounter every day that don't know Jesus, people who are far from him. And we are believing that God is going to use this church to radically affect this community and its world for Christ. I'm going to pray that God continues to make this a church that he sends out young men and women and older men and women that are ready to do radical mighty exploits in his name would you join me in that prayer right now father God we join together would you just lift your voices up in prayer today right now father we just commit this congregation to you Lord would you use them would you speak through them to impact this community for Christ Lord, thank you for what you're already doing. Thank you for quality leadership. But you're not done yet, God. You want to bring even more people to salvation. You want them to be discipled. You want them to be changed. God, may this be a sending church that sends people out from here to impact the world for Christ. We ask it in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Let's celebrate the freedom that we have in Christ right now.